Before we start the show, I'd like to once again extend my support for the Saga After Union. As I've been told, the Alliance Motion Picture and Television Producers has decided to back away from continuing negotiations due to unreasonable demands being made by the actors, which is crazy. So once again, I'd like to ask that you continue your support for our fellow actors, and if you're able to make a simple donation, spread the message across social media platforms, or join them in picketing, please do so. If I know any more information on the SAG after strike, I'll make sure to inform you as soon as I can. Until then, hang in there and keep up the good work, SAG AFTRA. Listeners, welcome to the Lone Screenplay Nominee Podcast, where we talk about films that were solely nominated for an Oscar in the writing categories. I'm your host, Matthew Anderson, and today we have Valentina Starkovich. Uh, I apologize if I butchered the, the last name pronunciation. Um, who, uh, who herself is also an Oscar predictor and has also been a guest on various podcasts, uh, some of which I've been on. Uh, like and the Oscar doesn't go to the 300 Passions podcast and the lone acting nominees. Welcome to the show, Valentina. How are you doing today? Hi there, Matthew. Going pretty well. What about you? And I have to say that the last name was pretty well said, so I get you points for that. Okay, I wasn't too sure. Yeah, I, I, I we, we were talking uh, like right before we got on the call for this, we were talking about like upcoming oscar stuff um because we hadn't talked in a while for maybe the last couple months uh but yeah no we just had to get caught up on like what what we we thought was going to be like in the upcoming races and such but but yeah that's that's not what we're here to talk about in the episode uh but before we talk about our movie and dive into uh the film that you chose uh, i have some questions i want to ask i typically ask my guests i should say uh would you care to explain to our audience what exactly it is you do for a living per se, if you're able to say? Well, what I do for a living, I'm an international relations graduate. So I work in diplomacy, definitely in political and economic diplomacy. And apart from that, I'm also a sort of aspiring film critic. I, but I actually write mostly in Spanish. So it's like I divide my time between that and that. But I think everyone is an art. Everything is an art. So diplomacy is also an art and even uh, more fucked up than the Oscars. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that, that's, it's interesting. Yeah, because I, I don't think you ever mentioned your actual job uh, to, to me or to a, any of our friends like Sam or, or Ronaldo in the past. Or maybe if you did, I wasn't there when you told us what exactly it is you do. But that's interesting. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they, yeah, they sort of kind of know it. I, I have to admit that not even me, I know what I do for a living somehow. Uh, but yes, yeah, like I divide my time. It's like what gives me money, what gives me money, it's diplomacy. Then what I do in my free time and mostly uh, half of my time, it's dedicated to films and that stuff. So I actually earn money in order to continue doing something else that's not very much related. Gotcha. Uh, well, the other question I want to ask is it's always tough to ask someone what their favorite film is. So I might as well ask another question, which is, uh, or a different question, I should say, which is, what's your favorite genre of film? Well, that's actually, I mean, yeah, it's, of course, it's quite overwhelming trying to put into one film, like, what are the universe of films that you can actually like? But I mostly always say network, even though network is, like, my most liked film, yet I have, like, a million others. But I think in the line of network, Birdman, the kind of films that I like, I pretty much like Satyrs. It's like, I don't like a genre, like it. people go like very much like, okay, I like dramas and this type of film. No, I like satires. I like something that's between a drama and a comedy, but at the same time, it's going to tell you something different. It's going to make fun about reality or about uh, the world and how the world is colliding. So I think that's my favorite genre. Yes, yeah, uh, there's there's definitely some interesting uh, satirical films, uh, one of which we'll get into just in a second. But yeah, Birdman, you mentioned, that's a really good movie. And I think you and I are like, one of the few who are willing to defend that movie yeah, uh, definitely. Within, our within our close circle. Uh, because I rewatched that a couple months ago and I'm like, yeah, this actually holds up a lot better than I was expecting. Even it's though we're not, 
we're not in that like prime superhero genre that we were in when it came out but still it's it's very weird that that's yeah that that holds up and yeah i'm like yeah i still really love it and uh it sucks that you guys aren't able to love it as much as we are Exactly, I love it. I think it's a great Best Picture winner, especially of this decade, of this century. I don't care. It has such a, so many layers that you have in order to analyze. I mean, not only for Michael Keaton's performance, that I think it's one of a lifetime, uh, but he's also making fun. He's also being satirical about his own career. So I think it's very interesting. And also how Gonzalo Signari too actually managed to pull out that script with other fellow Latin American writers, something that is pretty much under the identity of Americans because it had something very intrinsical about American identity towards superheroes, towards their figures, towards celebrities. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, he's he's an interesting filmmaker I hope to uh, talk about on the podcast in full or I talk with someone about it on a podcast in the future because he's he's got a lot of films that I, I want to see in the future, um, Some a lot of his earlier stuff, but um, but that's another conversation we could have another time regarding within your two so anyways um you're not here for us to talk about in your two you're not here to talk for us to hear about the upcoming awards contenders no you want to hear us discuss the 2016 film the lobster which was directed by yorgos lanthimos and i find it very fitting that we are talking about this man uh or this man's film to, uh for this episode because he has another film that's making its way during the award circuit called poor things. That'll be out uh, as of this recording, it'll be out in December, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so I find it very, you know, very interesting that we, we timed it perfectly, whether it was an accident or not, that we're here to talk about his earlier film, the lobster. So uh, just want to give everyone a, a heads up as always, this will be a, this won't be a beat by beat bulletin point presentation of the film. Like you hear on other channels where, instead of discussing like going one by one with the acts, we're just going to talk about it in general. Uh, We will, however, be uh, discussing uh, major spoilers for our episode. If you haven't seen the film yet and want to hear our full thoughts on it, uh, you know, it's simple. Just watch the film and come back and hear us talk about it. Watch uh, Colin Farrell being fat and then you come back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For two hours. Um, so yeah, but before we do our little discussion, I uh, always have to give the notes, uh, uh, you know, production background notes on this. Uh, and I have a feeling, just like Casanova seventy, I'm gonna muck up some uh, pronunciations. So forgive me if I uh, mispronounce some of these names. So here we go. Uh, Greek filmmaker Yorgos Lanthimos wanted to make this as the Lobster as his fifth film and third time he's collaborating with co-writer uh, Ithemis Filippo. Uh, on relationships and love being the central theme slash idea for the film. Originally, Jason Clark and Elizabeth Olsen were attached to play the leads, but had to drop out as Jason had scheduling conflicts with a 2015 film, Everest. Uh, remember that film? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Vanessa Kirby's two second starring in there. I had no idea she was in that. Wow. Okay. Well, um, she's like for two seconds. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, and Elizabeth, uh, 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 Elizabeth Olsen, who also had scheduling conflicts with Avengers Age of Ultron, which that took priority, and she had her run into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I don't think she's going to be back for any more films. I think she you know, no. made that clear. So, like, I'm, I'm done with that. So, anyways. Um, so, so, Jason and Elizabeth were both replaced by Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz. Uh, filming began on March 24th, 2014 and wrapped on May 9th, 2014. The Lobster premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, weirdly enough, on May 15th, 2015, and also showed up at not just uh, the Fantastic Fest, it also showed up at the Toronto International Film Festival, New York Film Festival, and the AFI Fest later that that same year. It was also shown at Sundance the next year, so that would be 2016 it came up, uh, where Manchester by the Sea was also premiering there too, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, it opened around May 2016 in North American theaters. It's it's a bit tough to you know when you get a movie like this to come out like a year before for these festivals or any kind of awards contenders, you know, and they have their whole like limited run spiel. Uh, it's oh, it's really tough to find try, trying to nail down 
what was the exact date it came out? Because even though the film will say, oh, it was, you know, did a limited run in May 15th. They never tell you when it went nationwide unless it, they actually tell you. But, you know, yeah. that's 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 the whole thing with the awards contender. So uh, anyway, so the film made roughly $18 million worldwide, I believe, on a budget of $4 million, uh, estimating. It was, however, eligible for the BAFTAs in 2015 due to being released in the United Kingdom within their deadline for qualifying for the, the BAFTAs. And they only scored a Best British Film nod, which was beaten out by Oscar nominee that year, Brooklyn. Uh, I think it was the only BAFTA win they got, period, from there, Brooklyn. Yeah, it did. It was the only one. And then they went empty-handed at the Oscars. So. Yeah. Um, so then the next year it did get a handful of Oscar, nom- uh, excuse me, a handful of nominations that ranged from obviously an Oscar alone screenplay nomination for the original screenplay category. Uh, it also got a golden globe nomination for Colin Farrell in the comedy musical category critics choice nomination for original screenplay, and also an American cinema editors guild nod in the comedy and musical category as well. Uh, That's and- curious. Yeah, and so the logline I'll give for the film in as far as what, what the main premise is for this, in a dystopian near future, according to the laws of the city, single people are taken to the hotel where they're obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days or they're transferred into Beast and sent off into the woods. Uh, before I usually ask my typical questions for you, I just also want to say, can, I don't know if you want to, you know, because of the Academy's past history, or maybe this is a good thing or, you know, a blessing in disguise. But I just want to say, uh, as of this recording, we had just found out, or I did, uh, maybe about a couple hours ago, that Colin Farrell is now officially an Academy mem- uh, voting member. Yes, voting um, member for the Academy. He was announced yeah. back in, like, two months ago, I guess. and he, But he, now he was actually announced that he's a member. Yeah, they invite. Yeah, it's usually typical for the academy to do to where they invite like a handful of artists and craftspeople from the makeup category, the directors, you know, actors branch, even the executives and publicists branch. I believe they they uh, recognize. And so, yeah, so I'm curious to see, you know, and there were a bunch of actors too, like Stephanie Hsu is now an academy member and. Same goes with Paul Mescal, I believe. Um, yeah, I so. even I a lot of people that I would actually mention to be invited, like both for uh, uh, fellow the benches of Finisherian uh, cast members Barry Keoghan and Curry Condon, they were both actually. No, I think Barry was already a member. I I don't recall him being talked, but I do remember Curry Condon. But she wasn't actually listed yet as being officially a member. But I bet she is. But just that they didn't promote it. Yeah, I I, I know it's common for actors to be or people to be invited, and they just say, "Nah, I'm not interested in voting for that." But you know, hey, congratulations on your voting member uh, status, Colin Farrell. Um, it's it's just i it's just weird that it's just it's the day they announced it is the day we're recording this episode and i'm like okay that's very weird um, well, he is on is on our side maybe he's actually pr- promoting having a premonition of working back again with Jorgos Lanthimos could be his third collaboration so who knows yeah maybe um so anyways yeah so i already discussed so anyways back to the movie so i already gave you the background uh and the log line to the film i want to ask uh, even though when I, uh, you know, threw my, you know, threw my ring into the hat and said, Hey, Valentina, do you want to be on the show? Uh, and you had made, I think you had said you had two films you wanted to choose this or in Bruges. And that was Colin Farrell's starring. Okay. Yeah. I, I figured that was the reason why, because you have <laughs> such a big man crush on him, uh, to begin with, but I'm curious as to, uh, you know, if you were given the choice between the two of them, would you have wanted to, like, what would you have picked? Or would it, would it be like a Sophie's Choice where you're like, you can't pick? I think I could pick the, the Lobster. I think it's one of my favorite. I, I'm actually a very huge fan of Yorgos Lanthimos, especially his early films back in Hollywood that we did this one, The Kill of a Sacred Year. Uh, of course, a favorite that it's like the most famous one. But yeah. I do like his... I do like his approach. I do like his scripts. Uh, I do. I do love *In Bridges*, and I, I'm a huge also Martin McDonagh fan. But it's not my favorite movie of his, and it's probably my top three. In this case, could probably my top one okay. of *Yours Lanthimos*. And it has two main reasons about acting. It has, of course, Colin Farrell, but also has Leah Seydoux. 
And I think it's a very interesting role for her. It's like she's not very much in it, but it's a very interesting role from the perspective that uh, the approach that he has in the English language. So I find it very, very likable. I think it's a very good movie. Out of curiosity, because I assume you had already watched this before, uh, how did your experience this time around when you saw it compare to when you first saw it back, however, whenever you first did? You know, I I rewatched it uh, last year and I watched it back again for, for the podcast. And what happened with me is like the last time I watched it, I had a different idea about... Uh, okay, Colin Farrell was not an Oscar nominee, and I was very shocked that he wasn't because I think he's really good in this film, and he has certainly very good performances. Um, but it could be my different uh, perspective in the sense, of course, of his acting, on the fact that he has this very lonely man performance, and he also has a very lonely man performance in The Banshees of Finishing. Um yeah. So I think it has like a very different approach in how he actually outlines very different uh, sensibilities of their characters. And I actually think he's very mature right now. As, uh, and he was already very mature. And I think uh, when he started collaborating with Lanthimos, he's starting like doing this very much serious man approach, not only just like, you know, like the heart robber status, the bad boy that he had back in the 2000s. Uh, but also I was really shocked at also. I mean, I'm always shocked about the way that Lanthimos gets his his scripts, but also how he directs the performances. And I think he, it's pretty different how you manage to watch it uh, different times and you put your eye in different actors and how he can manages like very different characters to put it into the service of the film. So uh, that was something that I really started like paying more attention to it. You have Olivia Colman, you have Rachel Baez, that I'm not quite passionate always about her. Uh, that's that's a personal matter. But uh, I think she's really cool. It's like everything is putting out in the service. And I think the cast is outrageous. And it's like when you watch it several times, you can actually put more attention into that. It's interesting, too, because I, I think I watched this right around the time The Favorite got nominated for 10 Oscars. And I think maybe it was like, that that first viewing or how whenever it was but it was like right like leading up to the oscars mm-hmm. i'm like i find it very funny that olivia coleman i first off i didn't even knew olivia coleman as who she was until the favorite no like yeah. other people and i find it very odd that it's um looking back at the lobster i'm like wouldn't it be funny if like in the back of my brain i thought like just a tiny percent tiny percent of it thought wouldn't it be funny if olivia coleman managed to win an oscar for the favorite uh, especially when she's worked with Yorgos as far back as the lobster. And then that whole night happened and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> What's yeah. going on? But, but, you know, and the other thing too, is that like Olivia Coleman, you know, outside of the lobster though, she's been in other things. I, I fucking love uh, hot fuzz. That's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Probably my favorite comedy I've seen so far. Um, and then Rachel Weiss, who's a really solid actress, uh, Ben Wishaw, uh, can be can hold his own, especially in women talking. Even John C. Riley had like a really John good C. year. Riley had the, his momentum. It's like it's a very yeah. very small role, but still, it's like you really understand why he's there and how he. I mean, what he's doing in there, it's pretty interesting. And the sort of game that he has with Ben Wisher that you don't know if he hates him or whatever it is, but at the same time, they're all all the same pathetic people. It's very 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 funny yeah and even uh colin farrell which you already brought up he is an actor that i'm so glad has decided to uh, i don't know if it was his agent or he had you know put this purpose onto himself and is like i'm i need to be a character actor yeah and i can't stop doing these like pretty boy roles uh you know like he was like for i don't know if it was forced upon him you know like doing alexander uh or doing all these like other really shitty movies from the 2000s because i think for a while hollywood pegged him as like the pretty boy actor and it's like no and you- bad boy he has like that bad boy status and that's yeah. it like you always knew I-, I think that what happened to me is like mostly when i mean he did miami vice and he's pretty yep. well known in here in your why because he went filming here and it was like He's a good actor, but he's never going to get anything more like that. I mean, there were newspapers talking about that because of his behavior. 
Yeah. He, he was never like bad behavior, but he had that status of a bad boy that I don't give a fuck for saying it uh, yeah. about what I'm doing about my career and that stuff because I'm always going to be somehow like not even a blockbuster actor, but just a big budget actor. And he started like switching back like in 2000, yeah, 2010. Well, maybe the Inbridge's momentum when he won the Golden Globe and then yeah. and you were like, okay, he really can act. Yeah, and the other thing too about it is that I, I first off when this came out, the Lobster and Killing of the Sacred Deer, I hadn't seen these movies back when they came out in theaters. I'd only heard about them in passing, and I think it was around the time it might have been last year where I started paying attention to Colin Farrell as like a legit dramatic actor because you mm-hmm. know he's done drama before, like Phone Booth. It's not not a great dramatic film, but it definitely showed his acting chops to begin with, and it showed this guy had potential. And yeah. then he had the Batman. And then when I saw in Bruges for the first time last year, actually, it was around the time the Banshees came out. And I thought just based on his performance in, in Bruges and him reteaming with Martin McDonough, uh, I just assume, and with the reactions I'm hearing out of Banshees, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could definitely buy Colin Farrell finally getting an Oscar nomination, which he was rightly dude, by the way. Um, yeah. Because he is, even in this film, like you said, he's really good. He is playing that sort of like, uh, you know, uh, I guess like, yeah, depressed kind of character, but it's not the same from what he's done with Banshees. Like, it's completely different. It's to completely begin with. different. I mean, not only because this is a dystopian reality and Banshees yeah. was more linked to a very, very lonely momentum of life and also very tragic moment for the civil war in Ireland. And he was living in an island. In, in an island. So, uh but also because he actually manages to very, he has like very different, you, you don't need to see him yelling or anything. He just can't play the depressed or at the same time the lonely or at the same time the dumb character like he somehow does in Imbruges. And he can really like, he has that thing that he's very like lonely also in, in the way that he acts, but he always connects with the whole environment and gives a very powerful performance. And I think that, I think ever since when he did in Bridges, like he he realized he had that thing about doing satiricals because it's very satirical what he does. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And as far as the lobster itself, though, it's I thought it was decent. There's mm-hmm. a lot of entertaining moments in the film. I really, I, in terms of the ideas on paper, I think the first act is probably the strongest. Yeah, because I think that to me is an interesting setup to begin with, and it was odd but interesting to how Yorgos would use narration, uh, you know, from Rachel uh, Weiss's point, you know, it would use her narration. And it's not until later on, we find out that these are all the notes that David, who was played by Colin Farrell is writing down all the notes, you know, mm-hmm. from his day to day experience, you know, living at the hotel, then, you know, him leaving the hotel and going, living out in the woods with the, the loners and I thought that was an interesting idea that he he uses in the film. And and if and at times it did remind me a little bit of what Ruben Oslin was trying to do with uh, Triangle of Sadness, not just in terms of the class, but also with how absurd this whole thing can be. Yes. And it's very much, you know, like what Ruben Oslin was trying to do for Triangle of Sadness. It's it is very much a you know it uh kind of like a slow burn almost like you have to sort of wait it out a bit and and that was kind of like triangle of sadness for me it did kind of uh, it was around the halfway mark i was like okay where are we going with this like i i I feel like we kind of pointed out to most of what we what i feel this premise could do within like a 90 minute movie but at two hours i was like okay i'm a little bit irritated i i still I still think there's some really good scenes in it. And there were some moments where I was kind of smirking at some of the stuff, but um, I, I guess for, what I'm trying to say is I respect the movie a lot, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not falling in love with it. Like you or many other critics are, but I totally understand why a lot of people would enjoy this. And the other thing too, is that I think part of the reason is why I was a little bit let down by it was I love the favorite so much. It was one mm-hmm. of my favorite films of that. Well, no pun intended. It was one of my favorite films of 2018, and I guess I was I, I was kind of hoping that the experience I got out of the favorite would be 
on point with the lobster but obviously they're completely different movies yeah but also the the thing with the favorite i i pretty much enjoy both films uh i think the lobster is my favorite of of lanthimus like i mentioned before uh something i'm not that passionate with the color of the sacred year even though it has two very strong uh performances feral and kyogan Mm -hmm. which i mean they, they they're really good but my thing is that with the favorite for example you got three very very strong performances and either you you can like for example for me stone is the best one out of there but you can actually like you can't like emma stone performance in the favorite without liking the other two without liking yeah. rachel Weisz and um olivia coleman olivia coleman but in, the thing is that in the lobster you have a very powerful performance by colin farrell uh that it's it's very good. It's not very strong in the sense because the character is not its strong itself. The character is telling you a story that is pretty much devastating. I mean, his reality is devastating. And the whole course of the story is actually getting him into there. Uh, and then the other characters that are surrounding him are not very much strong. And then they're not very even... Uh, they're really supporting. Because even Rachel Weisz that has much more of a momentum or anything in the sense that she's a narrator... She's a character that somehow turns points, turns totally the point of the perspective of the movie. But still, it's like something is missing in that sense if you want a strong acting. And at the same time, it's like, I do love the construction of how they introduce you the facts. I think that's something that always happens with Jorvis Lanthimos. It's like you never fully understand what's happening since like you are halfway through the film. And this case is the same. It's like, you see him. You see him with his dog. You see him getting into a hotel. You see him telling the story about how you consider yourself, you're gay, straight, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't fully understand till then you start seeing how they have to relation. They got to get the relationships and that stuff. And then you have like a very big uh, momentum, how you have Olivia Coleman's character that's pretty much strange and pretty much like very outrageous character that totally comes out of the blue. Uh, so it's like, okay, I can actually understand why people do not love the film or would actually say, okay, where do I concentrate on it? But still, it's like, for me, everything works perfectly, except the final. I think that over the ending, is like pretty much rushed, uh, yeah. but it's pretty good for Saluti. The, but something the... happens to me with Triangle of Sadness and the ending is like, everything's going pretty well. In the ending, it's like, Ah, oh, you just messed it. Yeah, I the one thing I did like about when Colin Farrell or I think is uh, yeah David I think it is David when he goes in to get checked into the hotel and he talks with the receptionist. I like how they never show her face no. until after he signs the paperwork to say, okay, I'm I'm willing to you know be a part of you know I'm like here's the paperwork you know all the you know I've confirmed my sexuality. So I thought that was an interesting choice to do. And the one comment I did make, though, was when he was resting in bed for, like, taking a little nap in his bed. All of a sudden, like, Olivia Coleman and all the, like, uh, uh, butlers or workers yes. come in with the with the little, like, uh, uh, belt. I'm thinking to myself, like, has, like, does anyone not, like, you know, knock, like, hey, do you have clothes on so I don't walk in on you naked or anything? No, um, yeah. And also Olivia know. Coleman, when she's, like, somehow sing- doing the singing, that it's, like, it's so bad. It's, like... You feel so uncomfortable in those scenes where she's singing, and she's singing like just I, yeah. standing up with a microphone, looking at nowhere, and then she starts singing out of okay, and then she just stops, and it's like, what am I watching? It's like it's totally delusional. Of course, it's the topic of the film, but it's like you watch, and I was like, what? Yeah, I I was also wondering too if, if Olivia Coleman had ever like sang before in her life, and I, I didn't want to disrespect her or anything, but I was just curious as like if she took any lessons or was this like an intentional choice to be like this is how I want you to sing? Yeah, um, exactly. And it's like the hair, everything. She looks like Milhouse, the 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 Simpsons episode where they're actually getting wigs, and Milhouse comes up with a very big black wig. She looks exactly like that. <laughs> It's like yeah. I cannot take anything serious, but that—that's something out of Olivia Coleman. She's pretty much a scene stealer. Whatever she's doing, she just steals it. She has something. Yeah, yeah, no, she and she's uh, apparently she can make uh, make some other films that are just very so-so. It'd be like you know some of the best uh, things about it. You know, um, she's really good. 
And when yeah, she but... does comedy, that type of comedy, she's really good. She also has a sketch that she's talking about a computer for girls. And she has the same way. It's like, you see her and it's like, what is this woman doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's definitely a, a, a talented actress. And like I said, I'm I'm shocked that it took us this long to finally recognize yeah. her for what she is. Even though she's been in the industry for at least since 2007 or 6. Yeah. I mean, I do remember uh, there's a conversation that she did uh, back in the National Theater, I guess, was in 2021. And she was mentioning that she got into a drama school like in the early 2000s, but she, that she has been acting for ages. And it's like, but no, where were you? Like, nobody yeah. was seeing you. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, she, she has, no, she's like, and like always, she's, she's pretty good in this. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's, uh, while I'm going through my notes, uh, was there anything uh, of interest, uh, any any scene in particular throughout the film that you thought that was that you wanted to bring up for the conversation? You know, I think that uh, you you mentioned it, but the whole uh, sexuality thing when he was like, it was a very like it was a one man show because you only see Colin Farrell and they start asking questions and it'll be like, how could you define your sexuality? And he goes like, I prefer women. And then he makes a pause and it's like, oh, I had a homosexual activity back in college. So is there any back sexual? And I remember the answer is like, no, that option was discontinued. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. It's so absurd. how and, and he's just like, he passes back and it's like, oh. And it's like, how does that even is a reality? I, I mean, of course, it's a dystopian thing. Nothing yeah. it's, it makes sense at it. But it's like, he goes like, Oh, he 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 doesn't have like anything in particular opinion, and that's the same reaction that he has when the woman just throws out the window and is screaming yep. in pain, and he's like, "Oh, can't she stop screaming?" <laughs> like it's so absurd. And you see, you start seeing the layers of his character. That yeah. somehow it's it's somehow one layered, but at the same time, it's everything. It's telling you everything about it. Yeah, the the other thing I, I thought that was interesting about the biscuit lady who committed suicide or attempted to commit suicide was I, yeah, because I'm pretty sure she's dead. Uh, yeah, no she's way. dead. Definitely. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we saw blood on the the, the concrete. But anyways, like, um, the uh, yeah, it was interesting how she would bring up like you know if I were to you know if, uh it, it it was like if I you know during my last few days or whatever I probably would have you know jumped out of the floor or whatever and i'm like looking back and i'm like oh okay she i guess she's really desperate to like want to talk to someone uh but also i could see that as a way of like you know again like it's very much shows like okay being this talkative you know turns people off they're like okay yeah i'm not interested in wanting to talk with you even colin farrell's character was like i'm looking out the window <laughs> like yeah not even acknowledging her and yeah, no, I just thought that was an interesting aspect to play into this whole dystopian world. Like, what would happen, you know, if that were the case? And even with the whole John C. Wiley, you know, being caught uh, masturbating to a, a picture of uh, a woman <laughs> on the horse, like, uh, you shouldn't have done that because you realize the horse could have been someone as, uh, as, uh, as lonely and uh, despicable as you could. Um, and they get the toaster like yeah. this is the kind of pain that you're inflicting to this person and everyone was like it was like you you get to see that scene like you only see him of course screaming in pain and people just doing nothing having no reaction like this i'm sorry this is what it has to do and that's it because it's yeah. not like when john of arc was actually burned in the whole in the middle of a of a of a whole uh, mass of people it's like everyone is actually surrounding watching but nobody has a reaction like the normal thing is not having a reaction yeah and yeah no I, like, I, this is so pathetic but yeah. at the same time it's so interesting to watch yeah that that's that's a good point you brought up though um the other thing i did like the the other thing i i thought was interesting was i like how the Ben Wishaw character, uh, yeah, him wanting to be with this girl who has a no like constant nosebleed, uh, it, and it's kind of implied that their relationship isn't really steady because the Olivia Coleman brings up when they're together, they're like, you know, if uh, if all doesn't go well and you guys can't solve your problems, then we'll just give you a child, you know, as a way of yeah. like trying to cope together. 
And I find it very ironic. So two things I noticed. One, I find it very ironic that Ben Wishaw uh, was willing to get nosebleeds. And even Colin Farrell was realizing like, yeah, this isn't a good idea to, to do something like this all the time just to be with someone you love. Um, you should just love them for who they are. And yes. and by the end of the film, it's left very ambiguous, but we don't know if David is willing to uh, make himself blind from yes. because Rachel Weiss's character was also blind after having uh, her of surgery and, that she yeah. gets into. With the, yeah, with the whole surgery. And I find it very ironic, like, huh, if it crit much, especially when David goes to, to, uh, uh, ben Wishaw's boat, and he's like, "Yeah, you realize like this guy's been, you know, faking, uh, uh, you know, nose bleeding noses, nosebleeds because uh, he wants to be with you." And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, that's, very." Yeah. That's how ironic, and also like tells you how ironic it's with real life. Like when you try to impress someone, and you're so desperate for mm-hmm. that, and you try to, okay, this person likes Mission Impossible films, and you never watch it, or you never care about it, and then you just go away to watch Mission Impossible films in order to have something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's the same. And how David actually criticizes that, and in the ending, he starts, he does the exact same thing in order to be just equal to, to Rachel Weisz's character. It's like, you say, okay, this is delusional, but at the same time, then you got to realize, like, okay, maybe it's not delusional. Maybe this is the most real thing that you're doing. And the other thing, too, about it is that when he makes the the quote-unquote decision with whether or not he wants to you know, mm-hmm. make himself blind, he's not really forced by society to do that. It's just yes. more of, like, his own decision-making, whereas, excuse me, the, the hotel, they're implementing this idea of, you have to be with a partner within 45 days or you turn into an animal mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, and you're sent off into the woods. Uh, but no, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. The, you, yeah, that's, that's interesting. The other thing I was going to bring up also was, uh, you know, when Ben Wishaw slammed his, his nose against the, the desk. I don't know about you, but as someone who's had their nose broken and had to get surgery on it, it is fucking, uh, it is just, that is painful. Yeah, it's painful, and 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 thankfully I was put under for the surgery, but still, Jesus, um, yeah, <laughs> memory recall, but yeah, but also Ben Wishes character is like the most relatable one because it's like he's the most basic one when when the he got like, why could you want to be a lobster? Yeah. Like you're gonna be burned into a hot boiling. And it's like water, and it's like, yeah, he's right about everything he's telling. Like, and he, he's in he a hot tub too. Later on, when he's trying to get that girl, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, it's like he tells he's like one in Spanish. We would say, like, do what I say, not what I do. But it's mm-hmm. the same. It's the same thing because he's actually always criticizing everything, but at the same time, he ends up doing it. I also thought it was very funny when they were at the hotel. John C. Riley said to. Uh, Colin Farrell and Ben Wishaw. They said, uh, "I want to be a parrot. Uh, you know, I want to be turned into a parrot." And then Ben Wishaw points out, "You realize that if you become a parrot, you're still gonna have a lisp in your voice, right? Yes. Like, there's no like, way you can get rid of that. Yeah. We would be together, and we would do talking if you all decide yeah. to be a parrot." And he was like, "What? Why?" Yeah. Was like, sorry, that's- was like, you need to understand that if you choose an animal, you have to choose an animal, not because you like it, just because it has some sense. And then what comes when Olivia Coleman first says, oh, that's an excellent choice, being a lobster, because the world is full of dogs, because everyone wants to be a dog. Yeah. And it's like, what? It's like, I, I, I don't have a dog, I have a cat, but it's the same time, it's like, I start watching my cat, like, you're real. It's like, it makes you realize a lot of things, like, Oh, that that's a very interesting thing because you always, when you get into psychological tasks or whatever, someone always tells you, "What animal would you like to be?" I think we go like dog, a cat, a lion, or no, but it's like a lobster. And when she goes like, "That's what the world is full of dogs." Also, very strange that uh, uh, Colin Farrell's character uh, has a dog that it's his brother and it's the same somehow the dog is very very similar to the dog that Brandon Gleason's character has in the Banshees of Finishing. It's like he has a sort of connection with dogs or what? Huh I 
didn't even realize that. I mean, pretty much similar. Yeah, it's been over almost a year, I want to say, since I last saw Banshees. But yeah, I, I, I remember there was a dog. And I just didn't remember what breed it was. But that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, um, he's sort of a boarded collie yeah, in both of them. Yeah, it was a really it was a, a really like in terms of acting, it was a really good scene of Colin Farrell finding out uh, about his brother getting killed by the strict woman. Uh, yes. And then it's revealed like she had blood on her leg and. You know, she's just trying to test him to see if he's really faking the relationship or not. And, and how uh, wrong that scene is. Because she comes out and says, I killed your brother. Mm-hmm. And then you come to realize that his brother was a dog. Uh, and you get like, oh, pause. And then you saw the, the dog just like bleeding to death in the bathroom. And you're like, and that's something very raw about every single, uh, especially the early Yorgos Lanthimos films. It's like, he doesn't okay, this is what I'm showing you. This is the reality. This is the everything. I mean, I think the only film, and I've seen several of him, so Doctors also has like very raw scenes, but um, it's like the only one that you don't see that much is in the favorite, but still I do remember that first scene of Emma Stone when she just puts out he, her face in the grass and it's like she just, it's like everything has something very raw about it. Or when... Uh, Rachel Bice shoots and the blood comes out into her face, into Emma Stone's face. Yeah, the other thing too about it was, wasn't there a rabbit? Yeah, th- there was a rabbit with, uh, or a hare with um, the favorite. And also with this, yes. there's a rabbit too. Interesting. Yeah, and I think it, it even gets the rabbit into the poster of the favorite. I don't recall there's something over so, Emma Stone, so. I guess, in yeah. the poster. The one that there are three together. I think I've seen that. Interesting. Um, I'm just going through the rest of my. We notes. know that Yorgos Lanthimos has a thing with animals. Yeah, she has a rabbit. Interesting. Yeah, Yorgos Lanthimos and Jordan Peele have this weird obsession with putting animals either in their posters or movies or both. Or um, in the names, killing of a sacred deer, lobster, yep. and in the favorite you have not one but three rabbits. You yep. have Emma Stone has one, uh, Rachel Bias that is sitting in the lap of Willoughby Coleman has one, and then the other one is like putting in the middle between Rachel Bias and Olivia Coleman. So we would say the trilogy of rabbit, lobster, and deer. Interesting. The and then you have did... this, so it's like something pretty much related to animals. Yeah, I, I'd be yeah, I'd be curious to see what poor things has animal wise. One thing we didn't talk about was Ben Wishaw's story about his mother. Uh, about the lone wolf and about how uh, he would go in like he's like I don't know which wolf it was so I ended up giving all of like a piece of, of raw meat each one of them. and then yeah. and then all of them come in at me and the only two that that weren't uh, I assume one of them was my mother and I thought that's a really funny story <laughs> like, wow so this is really funny that. and then in the ending that you see the fact that they get uh, Leah Siduk's character to be somehow bidding to death by animals by yeah. somehow so it's like it has something sort of a resolution that has everything is connected to it. Yeah, that was... I don't uh, even know if that's intentional or not. I guess that some of the things probably are intentional, but even if they're not, it's like they make you think a lot about it. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And, you know, like I said, I I, I respect Yorgos Lanthimos for at least making an attempt to... He's insane. Uh, ...make us try to think about this because like i said i I, you know i'm not clearly in love with it as you are um but i there was still a lot about it to admire for sure yeah and and i just thought it was a really just again a a well-crafted film interesting idea and interesting premise uh the one thing i also did like about it was that they didn't beat the whole uh you know we're on the run scenario where towards Mm -hmm. the end you know the two characters are on the run from the hotel and really from the the police and society in general and We've seen that kind of trope done even in something like Brazil, you know, yeah. or Blade Runner, I guess, where it's like, you know, we're being hunted by, you know, or whatever it is. You know, all these like science fiction, dystopian world building movies. Yeah, and also and so, how so. they change you from the hotel and how the sea somehow skates and gets into the loners. I think that part is quite forced, even though it's like when you get to realize it's like, okay, there's a parallel world. Mm-hmm. that somehow you got Olivia Coleman in one hand and then you had Leah C. Dukes in the other and in my mind would be like what do you prefer Olivia Coleman telling me to get a couple or Leah C. Dukes telling me to not have one 
Um, yeah. So I love the contrast, yet I think that the way it's, somehow it's resoluted, it's kind of forced. And then you just somehow get introduced to Rachel Bice, and it's like, okay, I got a little bit, I wouldn't say lost in my case, because I watched it several times and I still enjoy it. But I know some people that were like, okay, I, I really got lost. I really got like out of all my perspective. And I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. I get what people would be like. I wouldn't say disappointed, but it's like, yeah, maybe their attention just coming out. Yeah, I just, you know, I, like I said, I, I, you know, once they did that whole transition from the hotel to the woods, I thought some of the stuff with the woods isn't as interesting as the the hotel. I Although I will say there was one joke I thought was admittedly funny when uh, Leah Sadu, I think it was Leah Sadu, told Colin Farrell's characters to like, uh, we're not allowed to dance together. We have to dance alone, uh, which is why we 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 uh, we listen to electro- electronic music. And I thought that that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so. or or even when they were just like kissing each other, and she was like, "Don't do this in front of my father." Like, what are you yeah. doing? It was <laughs> that was like really really good. I, I think even though I love Leah Sidhu, and I think she's pretty good in age, I think the character is like. You have so many little characters well crafted, even Olivia Coleman's character that's somehow it's the parallel with Leah Sidhu's character. Yeah. Um and even the actresses of uh, that they were playing the love interest, the nose bleeding girl, the other one that, who was insane that I have no idea who they are. Mm-hmm. They are so well crafted that when you get into Leah Sidhu's character, it's like I think something is missing. Something is like I need more. It's like you get a lot of text, you get sort of uh I love her screenplay at some point, but I don't get to see the development. I don't know if it is because you have uh, the strong performance of Colin Farrell and just Colin Farrell trying to put all things together. Then you have the introduction of Rachel Bice, but just that there was something missing. And, and I really don't like to say it because I think, again, I think it's a really good performance by Leah Sidhu, but yet it's like, oh, something's missing. I don't know. I wonder if it's because most of the film is set through most of it, I should say air quotes is set through David's eyes is why we don't get much development from everyone else with the exception of the scene. I think the only major scene where he's not in the movie, obviously, or actually come to think of it, it's either from David's point of view or from mm-hmm. Rachel Weiss's point Rachel of view. Weiss's. Um, because I just realized, yeah, there was also that other scene where Rachel Weiss is blind and she, assumes that she killed Leia Sadu, but in reality it's the maid who was like a yeah. you know double agent so to speak um and i wonder if that double double agent was dispatched because she was the one that made the arrangement with Leia Sadu of like hey i got someone yeah. who i want to bring on you know into your world and now that she's no longer in that uh hotel world it's like okay i have no use for you anymore and therefore you're just a, a pawn in a chess game that's all um yeah, but now that you mentioned the perspective thing, it's like, yeah, it's really very driving over uh, David's shoulders. So I think I, I, I didn't actually search or anything, but he has like a lot of screen time. I mean, it's not a very long movie. It's not even two hours long, but he's like in almost every scene. So it's like, that's a very huge development of the character because uh, once again, it's not a strong character in the sense that he's lonely or he, he doesn't have anything attractive surrounding him, surrounding his personality, surrounding his his reality. But at the same time, it's so powerful how he manages to be everywhere and the, just telling you the whole thing on over his eyes. Gotcha. Um... You, don't have, you don't have, like you say, you don't have the development of anyone Maybe in some point, Rachel Weisz, and maybe I could say Leah Sidhu, that you can actually understand, like, the different thing. Uh, but still, it's like, it's not profound. It's not that you don't have it into deep depth. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have personally on this movie before we get into the uh, awards, like, section of the, the episode. Um, but I'm, yeah, no, like I said, I just, I... Stated my point about the movie as a whole. I thought it was uh, interesting, had some cool concepts, really good performances from, especially from Colin Farrell, who's really good in the movie. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't really have much else best to actor say. nomination, to be honest. But I'm I think it's, he could have scored a best actor nomination. I'm actually anticipating to the whole award thing. Uh, but I mean, he's really good. Or even the Cannes award. Did he? Oh, no, he didn't win the Cannes award. No, he didn't win anything. Okay. Nobody nobody gives a award <laughs> to Garland Farrell. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he did sweep the critics groups uh, for Banshees of Inisherin, but. Yeah. But then he yeah, was just, yeah. I mean, he got the Bulby that, of course, is like the a very bad sign for someone to win the Bulby Cup. Uh, but then he was just, he was somehow eating up because, of course, the best actual category got really competitive with Austin Bathler and Brendan Fraser, but also because everyone was actually ended up watching Kerry Conan. Yeah, and the, and for the record, when when we mean by the Volpe Cup curse, we don't mean by oh that we have a curse for like uh, their careers or anything. It's just a curse in terms of like their chances of winning an Oscar for this performance are very unlikely. Um, yeah. So. I think that with a can, yeah, can it's like very different thing because of the type of people that they award. Because I mean, he didn't win can for this one. He never won can actually. But it's like the last time someone won can and the Oscar was Jean Dujardin, I guess, for the artist. Then I do remember Tony Banderas was nominated for didn't win. So I would say everything is a curse. So Colin Farrell, don't get your movies into uh, film festivals. <laughs> go, maybe go to TIFF. You might get a tribute prize and uh, win mm-hmm. the Oscar. Yeah, just like Jessica Chastain for uh, The Time of the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Or Brendan Fraser did the last year for the whale and mm-hmm. um Colin Farrell, be friends with Jessica Chastain. Just don't do another movie with her because that's also a fail. What movie is that? Ava? <laughs> that's Wait, bad. What movie? Ava. I've never heard of this. This is Oh first- god, just don't watch it. It's very, very bad. It's just like very, very red hair, uh, Jessica Chastain looking like Jessica Rabbit. It's from the same director of the uh- Help. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting this. And they also did Miss Julie, the Miss Julie version of Augusta Stringford play that it was made in 2012, I guess, by Lee Bullman. That was just such a flop. So yeah, be friends with her, just don't do a movie with her. Interesting. Produce a film with her, maybe. <laughs> be making more like weird uh art house performances like with this and uh Banshees of Indy Sharon was a bit more mainstream but yeah like Martin McDonough and, you know I mean yeah. there there's a reason why he's so good in in Banshees and uh and in Bruges you know and he's really good in this too I I don't want to take any credit away, you know take any uh no he's a very good what what I think is like he works really good with other actors that are somehow big names or potential big names surrounding or uh, with uh, surrounding him but at the same time, like they're not the lead ones because in 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 here, I mean, you have Olivia Coleman that at the time maybe she was not that much of a name, but Lee Sidu is was already somehow important. Rachel Weisz was already an Oscar winner. Uh, ben Whishaw and John C. Riley are also big names. Banshees is a finishing. Brandon Gleeson, he works terrifically with him. Like mm-hmm. best in partner. Barry Keoghan is the second time he worked with him. And Kirk Condon, actually, even though we don't know that, but they know each other from, like, ages. So it's yeah. like, he's he's really good working with actors. Uh, like, he's not... Even if he's a scene stealer, he steals the scene because he knows how to work with the other one. Yeah, it's... it's Yeah, it's a typical dynamic that you need to have with your, your actors, you know, and... Uh, it very much is like a, a, a game of tennis a lot of times. Yes. But yeah. So yeah, any any final thoughts on the movie itself for The Lobster before we get officially into the awards conversation for The the Lobster itself? No, I think it's, we actually managed to talk about everything. Especially okay. like, I think Colin looks really good in it. He's not a hair robber, but he looks kind of cute. I don't know why. With the, the porn mustache and like the, the belly gut. The belly and the face that he just wants to get a burger immediately and just gets out, get out of there. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. looks very burnt out for moments. I actually tweeted that yesterday. He looks like a millennial with burnout all the time. Yeah, yeah, he kind of does. Um, 
as far as the award chances for the lobster, uh, first question I always have to ask for everyone: Did you think this was a worthy nomination for original screenplay, and yeah. would you have nominated this for other categories? Yes, definitely. I, I, I mean, knowing that uh, the the um, the movie, uh, as you mentioned, had the release in order to get into the Academy Awards back in the the Oscars of 2017 that awarded films from 2016, and it yeah. lost out against Manchester by the Sea, which I think is one of the such a brilliant screenplay. Uh, even if it could have won, uh, the chances were pretty odd knowing that it only had one Academy Award nomination. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's very much worthy. Uh, nomination in, nomination, in, in yeah. I think if, if they had the year before maybe it could be better uh, into a shot of winning uh, because of the winner at that time but I think y- yes I could have given a best actor nomination for Colin Furgle it would be much deserving uh, I think it was a it was a pretty good category I have to say I mean Casey Affleck is probably one of the greatest uh, best actor wins of the, the last decade or the century for saying it uh, but I could kept checking out, I don't know, Andrew Garfield for Hawkshire Ridge and getting Colin Farrell easily. Um, then for others, I think, I think I could kept giving a Best Supporting Actress nomination to Leah Sidhu. Uh, the, the category was fine, I guess, buying in the time was actually reviewing it. But I really liked, as, as I'm telling you, I think that she works with the material she has. I, I think that for moments, the screenplay benefits her a lot for moments not but i think it's a very showy character for her especially knowing that her career in france i mean she's pretty well nominated back in france never won anything and also she's pretty much well known for being a sexual very much a sexual actress in the sense that she's pretty sensual she's a pretty good looking actress and she always explodes that uh and in here it's total difference she barely has makeup she's been i think she I mean, it's not her language. She's speaking English. She's French. She has a lot of accent, and I think she's doing a terrific job. Yeah, uh, no comment on Leah to do because I know my folks are going to be listening to this, and uh, yeah, no, that's that's all. Um, so, anyways, yeah, so Colin Farrell, but also uh, best, uh, I think cinematography has a really good cinematography for me. I'm looking through the lineup now. What was that for cinematography? Um. Ooh, yeah, that's 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 really tough because I'm looking at cinematography right now. You had a, a rival, La La Land, who was our winner, Lion and Moonlight were all Best Picture nominees, and Silence with uh, Martin Scorsese's film. Yeah, that it's a very good cinematography. Um, but I could totally take it out Lion. Uh, it's like I yeah. enjoyed Lion, but not not much of me. If mean, I had to choose pretty... between Lion and yeah. And and Greg Frazier, he's done better work past yes. this because he did the Batman, which he should have got nominated for that. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of it, I thought that a lot of there was a lot of technical work involved that was great. No, but and, he did also Sarah Dark Thirty, which is a really yep. good cinematography. And uh, he also uh, he also shot Dune Part One and Part Two. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it just I, I guess it's just one of those cases where it's like I, I wonder if if the Lobster was a bit too small. Uh, like uh, 20th Century Women, which I've already covered that episode before. If anyone okay. wants to check it out, check it out after the episode. But yeah, I wonder if just like uh, uh, 20th Century Women, uh, The Lobster was just too small of a movie. And as far as the lead actor lineup goes, I just think it was just those five. And even though, yeah, Andrew Garfield was good in, in Hacksaw, maybe not the best of the lineup, I still think he was going to get in regardless just because he was playing a historical figure. He's in a best picture contender, even though it only premiered at Venice. And as much as we want to shit on Mel Gibson, and honestly, he deserves He's a good director, out. especially in epic kind of film. He, he is. And that was also, I remember that was the year that a lot of people were very much in the camp of, even though Mel Gibson's a piece of shit, we have to recognize him for his yep. talents because admittedly, he did a good war film. Yeah, separate you know, so we, the art from the artist. And yeah, blah, blah. and I, I think even too at the time, voters were very much along the lines of like, yeah, you know, say what you want about Mel Gibson, but he could direct a fucking good movie. 
Yeah, um, but also Andrew Garfield was, I mean, in silence, and everybody was thinking that movie is going to be major thing and or anything. Yeah. So I, I totally understand his nomination. He was in pre- two pretty great films. Uh, I think in silence he was probably supporting actor. Uh, he was campaigning in supporting actor. I do remember Liam Neeson was in lead or something I, between. I think Liam was- Neeson was campaigning for lead for silence, and yeah. Garfield was a lead, but they. They pushed more, and it was different studios, obviously. But they, I think, they yeah. pushed more for Hacksaw because that. But I could actually understand why he could end up getting a nomination, knowing that he had two strong performances back in the same year. Uh, well, but as if it were for me, I could have preferred. Uh, I think. I think. I mean, it's undisclosed that, of course, uh, Casey Affleck was somehow the best. I'm not quite passionate. And I'm sorry. What I'm gonna say about Denzel Washington and Fences? Okay. Uh, to be honest, so but yeah, if I had to choose between, and also, I mean, Ryan Gosling, of course, he was gonna get nominated for La La Land. And I think yeah, it was weird. it was the most talkative movie of the year, and it's yeah, I assume Oppenheimer is probably gonna be that you know La La Land thing where it's just gonna get into various categories. Hell, it might even win most of the Oscars this com- upcoming Except year. Except for Best Actor. <laughs> yes, we talked about that off off air. Uh, we'll talk. We'll continue that off air. Um, we don't but, talk about anything except for but, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, like. but I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, one of us has to, you know, realistically be optim, you know, be like, yeah, maybe someone else, you know. But, but yeah, we'll we'll keep that conversation to the to the uh to the sides. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, I did want to point out though, with Garfield, I'm not sure if I mentioned this also when I was talking and about. You got Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, and he's a lone acting nominee. So I could actually could have seen him taken out and getting Colin Farrell, but he was a previous nominee. Colin Farrell didn't yeah. get that strong. And also the fact that what you mentioned, that it didn't have a wide release back in the year that the movie was somehow released in Cannes. So I think that's something that probably went against it. Well, and the other thing about Captain Fantastic is that it was well-liked by the Actors Branch, and mm-hmm. it even got the Screen Actors Guild a cast ensemble nomination yes. as well, which very much, I think, solidified Viggo Mortensen's slot at the Oscars like he was going to get in I think because of that ensemble nomination and he might have gotten in at other places I think BAFTA he got in that's right actually I think all the lead actor boys got in at BAFTA except for Denzel Washington because they hate Denzel for some reason um and uh the one thing I did want to bring up with uh Garfield which I think I might have mentioned on my 20th century women episode in the past I cannot remember so if I'm repeating myself I apologize Garfield that year also seemed very much like a um, it, it seemed like what would eventually happen with Tick, Tick, Boom or even mm-hmm. with uh, Patricia Clarkson for the year that she got in for Pieces of April, where it's like we have an actor who's got a collection of really solid performances in one year and we all got to pull our votes into that one performance. Otherwise, they may get, you know, shut out. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it happens every year with all these you know performances i think even ruth nega was the the same thing that year with loving where she was like a lone actress nominee but yeah no regardless though yeah colin farrell i i'm surprised it took him this long to finally get an oscar nomination when he should have a couple on his belt hell i definitely would have nominated him for in bruges for sure i think he's that good in it but i i still stand by that banshees of inishiran is his best performance even though he was beaten out by Brendan Fraser, who I'm personally okay with him winning that Oscar. I know a lot of people are not a fan of the whale and I get it totally. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm fine with Fraser winning that uh, mostly because I'm not that passionate about the category, but at the same time, I, I thought Fraser did a good enough job to where it's like, okay, if this Oscar win leads him to some, you know, leads him to better roles and hopefully more challenging roles. He's in killers of the fire moon as well. Oh, yeah, um, so. what happens to me is that with the this year's category, of course, my favorite was Colin. Uh, is that if I have to talk about the performances for me, the whale is probably the last of the lineup. But if okay. I have to talk about how passionate I am about the actors, probably Brendan is my number two in that sense. Yeah. So it's like mm, I have to put it into the balance. Okay, I'm okay with the win. I, I mean, I mean, I'm. I'm not mad about the win over uh, Brandon Fraser being an Oscar winner. Yes, I'm mad at the fact that, that for this performance, but that's totally different. And I'm sorry, that's what the but, Academy is. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree about Colin. It's like, how, why did it take him so long? Um, yeah. 
but I think he got very challenging roles. I mean, he got this one. He got to kill him to Sacred Deer. So he uh, back at that time, it was like uh, Yorgos Lanthimos was somehow like an Oscar nominee. And he still is. Uh, thankfully, next year, he's going to change that status to winner. But we'll it's like... We'll see with poor we'll things. something. Um, but it's like, I do see him being challenging about uh, the directors that he was working and that he continues working, even though that he are somehow like safe places because he worked several times with Martin McDonough and that, and he got into it in style. But yet what I'm surprised is not only the Oscar nomination, the fact that he never won a festival award till Banshees of Inishirin. Yeah. I, I think also, too, is that he's never been in a Best Picture-nominated film before, right, Colin Farrell? That I recall, no. He wasn't. Okay, because I wonder if that was also the push, too. Because in Martin like... McDonough, it's like uh, the only film that got an Oscar nomination for Best Picture was the, the, before this was the Three Billboards, and he wasn't in there, so it's like... Yeah, I'm looking through his films right now real quick. Uh, did I remember? No, yeah, was. Banshees is like the only big, the only film that was like contending for Best Picture. Um, yeah, it's it's a very, very sweet genre somehow career because he's a very well known actor. Everybody knows who he is. Um, he has really good performances. Yet he was never something this Academy Award friendly. Yeah, yeah, it's like That's this is the most. This is the most. Uh, Academy Award uh, mainstream movie that you can get, Batches of Finishing. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, but you know what? I If Colin Farrell wants to get that Oscar, he just needs to pull uh, Rami Malek, Gary Oldman, <laughs> uh, King Richard, uh, what was it? The, the Whale, where it just be in this like you know, transformative performance, you know, heavy makeup. I mean, he did the heavy makeup with the Batman. Yeah, um, and he's doing it. Maybe he gets an Emmy for the miniseries. Who knows? Maybe. But I just, I feel like nowadays with lead actor, and well, pending this upcoming year, uh, it might with be our a case. dear boy, nine-time Academy Award loser. <laughs> at we'll Cooper. see. I, you know, I, I, you know, publicly, I, I have to, I have to be optimistic, but um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that in terms of Cooper with Maestro. Um, yeah, so uh, any final thoughts on the uh, you know overall uh, awards stuff with uh, the Lobster or anything else we, we left out before you sign off? No, I think we're doing good. But actually talking about Bradley, because you started the episode talking that uh, coincidentally about the poor things and Colin Farrell being an Academy Award member, uh, we are we both talk a lot about Bradley Cooper, and yesterday was the fifth anniversary of a story born being released. Yes. So I think it's everything comes in full circle. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I'll I'll have to tell you more off air because there was something I I told Joey off air too, and I'll <laughs> I'll mention this to you about it about the uh, upcoming award season, which is you know has nothing to do with this episode. But anyways, imminent. Yeah, uh, so, you know, we'll put a pin in that for now. Uh, but as far as the episode, I just want to, we're going to be signing off right now. I want to say thank you, Valentina, for dedicating your time being here on the show. Before we sign off, is there anything you would like to plug in or where our listeners can follow you after they're done listening to this episode? Well, you can follow me on Twitter. Well, actually, the art is formerly known as Twitter now, X. Thanks to all the masks and on Letterboxd, I'm Starco Vision, uh, related to WandaVision. Uh, so yeah, I'm always there talking about Bradley Cooper's Oscar losing campaign and everyone who loses an Oscar. But yeah, thank you very much for getting me here. I had such a great time talking to you about Colin, or actually about the film, but yeah, mostly Colin Farrell. Yeah, he, uh, yeah his dreamy eyes. Uh, you know. <laughs> and his mustache. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as far as me, as always, you could follow me and the show through Linktree under at Matthew995, where you could follow along on all my social media accounts, such as Twitter, which is what I'm still calling it, and Letterboxd on the same site. I've also provided a link for where you could listen to for more episodes for the show. If you're interested in being in the hot seat like Valentina has graciously been, let me know, <laughs> and hopefully we can arrange that happening in the future. 
in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and we hope to see you at the movies. Take care, guys.